This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 470, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. Fight with everyone else. 
Hello, welcome to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 470. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and joining me is Josh Flanagan. Hello! And for the last time, as a regular host, Paul Montgomery. Hey, everybody. We are Hello. a fanboy. We like comics. Every week we read a bunch of comics. One of us picks the best book they read. We call that the Pick of the Week. We talk about that book on this show, other books of the week, other fun stuff. Sometimes it gets goofy, sometimes not. We, don't make, we make no promises on goofy levels. Before we get to the show, a quick reminder and a warning. It's a review show. There'll be spoilers, so if you haven't read this week's books, come back. And when the coast is clear, you'll be much happier. And until then, Paul had the last pick. You know, the very last pick of the week is a regular uh, weekly contributor to the show. I'm sure one of you will have like a wedding at some point, and I'll have to show up. But probably. Um, but I won't have the pick in that case. So this is this is my last time to to put my stamp down. And it's actually I wasn't I wasn't aiming for this, but it just sort of worked out that way. And I kind of like the poetry. My first pick of the week, which was just about two years ago, was Batman number seventeen, and this time it is Batman number thirty eight. Whoa. So and they were both polarizing, I imagine, Joker issues. Because <laughs> um, it was at the end of the Death of the Family arc, uh, and that was my first pick. So this one, I want to talk about uh, Greg Capullo because we usually start off with with Scott Snyder. So let's talk about the art first. Um, I think this is really capably, very handily, a an effective horror comic set in in Gotham like it is it is effectively a creepy Batman story and so often we see like an adventure story or a detective story um, or just like a, an action story this time it's just a really creepy zombie story mm-hmm. without going completely into sort of like Ben Templesmith territory science you know like zombies. it's science zombies and there's there's all a purpose behind it and there are moments in this book that I felt were really just truly creepy and disturbing and also really artful. And I think specifically of, we have a silhouette shot of a building where Batman is out in, in Gotham and everybody's basically um, being taken over by the strange toxin, which makes them kind of like uh, Joker zombies, but there's something else going on there too. And we find out more about that as the issue goes on. But there's this great image of Batman on the top of a roof, and he's talking to Dick Grayson. He's got all these voices in his head tapped in, and uh, there are zombies basically climbing the building trying to get at him. And um, it's not a, a true-to-life kind of image. Um, it, it seems kind of like the zombies are a little bit out of scale, but um, it, it very effectively creates that sense of paranoia that they're everywhere and they're climbing over top of each other to get you. Uh, and also, there's a great page where the Joker is swimming underwater, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's just the most sinister, creepy-looking thing since like Jaws. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not safe to go back in the water yet because there are evil, pale, uh, Im- apparently immortal clown people in there. I, if you want to talk about Capullo, I think you should go all the way back to the cover, which I thought was really fantastic. Oh yeah, with the with the shadow. Yeah, yeah it's it, uh, super evocative stuff, and. I, I think um, he he does get a lot of credit. They're they're a very popular creative team, but I think it's it's more than just you know cool pinup stuff. There's there's some really great storytelling here, and in a market crowded with zombie stories, uh, this one is I think actually instead of just being gory and over the top, I think it's just effectively chilling. I uh, I'm trying to figure out how I feel about this issue. Yeah. And I'm trying to restrain judgment until uh, this, the arc is over, simply because, especially with Joker stories, you never quite know for sure what's happening until it's over. Mm-hmm. You're, talk, you're talking about the 
the retcon, the massive, massive retcon. <laughs> the, just, just so we're let's just lay it on the table. I was trying not to go and freak out about it, but I mean, this issue seems to imply, and again, it's only implying. We don't know for right. sure that the Joker is an immortal being who's always been there, at, you know, in the back of Gotham City, you know, doing bad stuff. In we have moments where they're looking at pictures. Um, Alfred's daughter is looking at pictures of. You know Gotham from the past, and there's somebody that could possibly be the Joker, and even she says it could be a trick, or it could actually be, you know, it, you it could be a really good Photoshop, Photoshop job. But um, but I mean, they compare him to Vandal Savage and Ra's al Ghul, and it's it's the other immortal villains of the DCU, and uh, I, I always I always prefer the Joker to be a literal uh, reaction to Batman, right? Like he came about when Batman came about, and he doesn't mm-hmm. know what to do when Batman leaves. So I don't. I would not like him as an immortal being of evil, but... I would not like him in a boat. I would not like him here or there. I would not like him anywhere. Uh, so we'll see what happens, uh, whether or not this is actually... Whether it's a faint or, or what, but... I think it's a faint. I, it has to be. It doesn't have to be. I don't know for sure I it has know, to be. but, like, it's, it's like, uh, it's like we haven't learned from, from the Straczynski Spider-Man... Uh, um, what was that thing called? You know, when he was... Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I think Scott is smarter than that. Yeah, and he's done stuff like this before. Right. And, you know, the, like playing with the idea that, you know, does the Joker know that it's Bruce Wayne or not, things like that, and that that's coming to a head in this issue. Another thing I like about this is it, it's, uh, it feels like everything's really coming to a head from previous arcs. Oh, yeah, he comes to the Court of Owls for help at the end, which I thought was a that's great. That's a really great moment. page. Yeah, it's sort of his, his owls are coming. That, that was the moment that because I, I was reading it and I was like, it's pretty good. I don't know. I don't really know why we're at pick of the week here. You know, it's kind of I don't. I'm not. I'm not totally comfortable with everything that happened. And then he pulled it back around to that. And I was like, okay, that's a real good thing. I like that. Like like it was pulling. I was a little lost actually for a bit. So when it, I it felt pulled like it a while since we read it. It really did, and and it wasn't like I was lost. It was confusing. I was just like, I don't remember anything about where we were, and and when they pulled that around, there was a couple of other things. You know, he was talking about the other doctors, the the creepy bone guy, and and also I was like, oh, this is all Dr. connected, Death, yeah. big story. And then then he shows up and he asks the court of owls for help. I was like, okay, that's a that's a nice that's a, that's a nice bit of structure. That's good work. Mm-hmm. And also from an art production standpoint, that that page. How often do you see marble in a comic that looks like marble? That's a good point. <laughs> I mean, it actually looks like marble. If you draw I mean, marble, it, it looks like marble. If he draws a snozberry, it looks like a snozberry. It's um, it's you know, it's literally, it's you know, it's monolithic. It's like you hit that page, and leading up to it, there's there's sort of like no clue that that's that's where he's going. If you if you go back, you can kind of get a sense of it. But it's a big surprise when he ends up in the sewers. There, uh, he's going along in this conversation, and suddenly, wham! Right in your face, and just visually. You know, you're looking up just the way Batman is at this this big, you know, marble block and this the, the super creepy family of of owls. I like the short one. I do too. <laughs> They're all great, but but the, back to the faint thing. Um, the, he also played with it with um, when he had the Red Hood gang and the possibility right. that whoever fell into that tank might not necessarily have been the Red Hood guy or it could have been somebody else. And so, and he's talked about it in interviews that it's like he, he's, he likes playing with that ambiguity. And um, you get the sense that I, I think, I don't think he would set something in stone like the, the immortal Joker. I mean, we could be, I could be wrong, but I, my, the sense that I get is that there's something yeah, I, I bigger don't, going I don't on believe here. it will be, but I, I always have to worry until it's over. <laughs> if it does end up being a retcon, I will be okay with it simply because 
there's a Joker with a handlebar mustache in one of the photographs. Of course, and then the other, and the other thing is, you, you can still say that he arose because of the Batman well, because no, he can. He was in the Plymouth Rock. He's basically standing on Plymouth Rock. Well, he was around, but that doesn't mean he like it's sort of I don't know. It's like he he entered into his public life. Like I don't know, Jesus. Jesus did. There's like that whole part of the Bible where he's you know missing. You know, you get the story of his birth, and then and then like he lived a, a pretty private life and then when he turned 30 he comes out and starts going into his mission and this is a weird tangent but that's kind of um, like how everyone lives their life they go on a, on a weird journey in their 20s and they come back when they're 30 yeah and comes back oh, and, and that's all that. the stuff that we know him for is when Batman not kidding about that <laughs> so I, I, I think just as the continuation of this ongoing story it's been really uh, compelling um, I thought the the, the the, the, this new scientist with the coat of many colors was very creepy, Joseph. and that the yeah, and the moment where he's like clinging out from the uh, the window, um, and injects himself. It it's does just, feel like they're ending their run, doesn't it? it? Yeah, it does. I mean, like it's such a full circle kind of thing. Well, at least they're it's setting like, a table for the you know, but this is it is called Endgame, so. But every, as Josh said, all the different elements from their run have been popping up in the storyline. It does feel very symmetrical, like. Mm-hmm. This is a wrap-up. I don't know that they are. I just feels that way reading it. And it's cool when you know a writer gets to do that. Not you know with a run. Sometimes they don't always you know get to bring. Whoever it to comes it. on next to this book is. It's really like a longer thing like this. Well, <laughs> the, the, like it's the thing. Like he could keep going after this. Like I mean, and and it's happened before, and people have done big arcs. But like, I feel like something would have to change. Like, 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 I don't know if the art, artist would have to change or, I don't know, they just have to switch something around. I remember specifically when they ended the first sort of mega arc of Fables, mm-hmm. I think it was 75 issues. Like, I read, I read for like five or ten issues after that, and I was like, eh, it feels like you, you know, you did your thing. Right. And so sticking around after that, unless you're going for the five-year run, which I guess would be possible too. But, you know, he works in these such, such big, like the next one would be even bigger. You know, like it's like the next right. one would be like like a four year story, so um, that would be a bit much. But it was good; it was very good. I, I yeah, really enjoyed. It. And and the thing is, this was a really great week. There were a lot of great books, and the pick was shuffled around a lot. Um, for a while, it was the Multiversity Guidebook. This blew my mind. <laughs> it's pretty crazy in the best possible way. I didn't know what it was going to be. I was like, is this going to be, am I going to read a handbook? Because I don't know that I can get through that right now, and it's 70 pages. It fe- mm-hmm. I, I, I had the same thought until we got to the middle, and the middle went very quickly. Um, yeah, yeah. This felt very much like the D- guide to the DC universe that, that came out after Christ on Infinite Earths, where they basically laid out the, the timeline. And to me, this, this issue said many things. One, it, it said that uh, re- Grant Morrison really is working on a different level. Than, uh, yeah, want to talk, talk about going back and checking on something you had done previously. <laughs> it's just, it's... He's working on a different plane, but really what he's doing here is laying everything out that's happened in DC from the very beginning and saying, uh, it's all happened, don't worry about it, they're all just stories. And mm-hmm. even to the most uh, impassioned fan about continuity, you, you have to re- read this and be okay with that fact that everything you've read is part of this timeline or this story or this multiverse. And it's all okay. It's all happened before. It'll all happen again. There'll be a new reboot or continuity or things will come back around. But this is a, his way of laying that all out. I mean, there's, we, get, we go through all the old DC history here. We have Crisis Infinite Earths and the New Gods and 
and then, they, then the new 52 happens. It's, it's, it's basically laying out the timeline and the structure of the DC. Now, whether or not anyone will ever reference it or use it this way <laughs> other than him is up for debate, but to me, this just lets you know it's all okay. These are just stories, and they're fun. Well, there's that, and then it's also it's it's sort of like a book of contradictions because and and the way I looked at it when I when I closed up this book after spending a long time with it um, was that there's everything I really love about comics in here and everything that infuriates me about comics in here. Like, uh, like when I, when I go back and think of it, I I don't I don't love like crisis stuff. Like it just it kind of I don't know it. it 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 feels like a means to an end, but then also I love the stuff about like you know he he has the kind of the big bang in here, mm-hmm. of you know how the universe was created out of a, a fault, out of a crack in perfection, and um, all these different Earths came about through narrative, and I was like this is this is my bread and butter. I love this stuff, and so it, it's a it's this interesting mix of all the things that are problematic about comics, but then also the 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 beauty that arises out of that, the 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 problem solving that happens. Um, because there are so many different minds at work, I think um, there's, there's a yeah. beautiful like contradiction about it in that, like Morrison's been fairly you know don't worry about it like that's been his sort of stance right. like it's comics don't worry about it, and then like the other side, he goes and he then explains it all and lays it out. Right. So he's he's playing both sides of the fence there. Well, I which think, is I think really... the way he lays it out is a way a form of saying don't worry about it. It's true, but like it's it's almost like don't worry about it. No one needs to explain it. But here I'll explain. But here's the explanation. Well, like, so, he was the creator of the hypertime. Yes. I, wasn't he? Or was it Mark Wade? It was. No, no, him. It was him. Yeah, that, that every continuity has happened and every variation of the DCU has happened. And it, so it's very really been consistent with his. Totally consistent. View I, of, I just, the, of the DC uh, world, yeah. or anyway. But I think the, I think the way that you sort of um, you can explain the contradiction is that there are several Earths in here, and we go through fifty. Yeah, it's, 50, it's, it's 52 because there's zero, there's a zero. So the zero one. And then, oh, that's right. uh, that's that. Okay. I just figured that out. Um, the, the, the way you sort of explain it is there's a bunch of different earths that are a secret or are unknown. Mm-hmm. So that leaves the possibility for anything else that anything else that this doesn't explain, you can explain it away with the fact that there are seven earths that are left off the table. I like earth 21. That's my favorite earth. Which one's that? I think you know which one it is. I'm scrolling as fast as I can. It's, it's new. It's it's New Frontier. Earth. Oh, Frontier, yeah, that was Darwin basically. too. I know. I know. I was like, oh, that that had that in there was enough for me. I was like, okay, I'm good. I love like that. A, I like Earth Twenty. A, a, a lot of these original artists. And what was fun for me was to go through and go, oh, I read that one. Oh, I read that one. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. the different sort to of continuities. Yes there was Kingdom Earth. Come. There was the New Frontier. There was the Justice Lords. There was uh, the animated world. There was. Um, the Marvel the Zoo Crew. One. There's the Zoo Crew. There's the Captain. I mean, I went through. You know, there's the Watchmen. Uh, Red Sun. It was a lot of fun to go through and go. Oh, right, that one. Oh, right, that one. Oh, right, that one. It was kind of cool about this. The placement of this in Multiversity um, is that you there's some of these worlds that we've seen previously, uh, and some of them that we haven't seen yet in the in the confines of the Multiversity series. So like we've we've seen the you mentioned the Watchmen kind of one. So that was. Pax Americana one, mm-hmm. and then the next issue is going to be about that one where World War II, where the Germans won, right. and so we'll we'll be seeing you know Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters and and all those characters, and it's it's kind of interesting that this placement here, it's that the way he is doling out the information is very, um, it, it, it's not it's not simple. Mm-hmm. It's um he's he's got a plan here. Oh, he's been working on this for a long time. Mm-hmm. 
Did either one of you get creeped out when they brought out the Martian Manhunter body and it looked like it was a skull before you realized it was a robot? I probably didn't notice it. It was, yeah, it was, it was a look. I was like, what is, what's going on here? Like, that um, seems excessive. They showed the baby skull and then realized that they were robots. But yeah, I'll be, the, the reason oh, right, this right, was, right. the, the yeah. reason this wasn't the, the pick was, I feel like after, I feel like the, the third act after the, uh, the, the actual guidebook stuff where we're going through all the earths, um, I, I, I lost the thread of the narrative a little bit. Um, and when we get that giant cobra tongue thing, I was, I was lost at that point, but I love the guidebook stuff. Well, they got they got sent out to different worlds facing the harmonics, the little Batman and the future Batman. Yeah, I mean, I I I, it, I know the the basics of it, but I, but um, just uh, from moment to moment, I was I was a little bit I thought it was a little bit obscure. When we when I mean, with stories like this, what I tend to do is that I don't I I I accept that I'm not going to get the nuances of it, so I just sort of go for broad strokes because it's kind of all that matters. Like I don't. So I think that with some of that, I just kind of go through. Okay, you know, I, I get it. Okay, he's trying to convince them that there are these other worlds, and and they're they're converging, and that's a problem for some reasons. And you know, it's kind of where I go. Like, like if you were to ask me the specifics of what has happened in any of these multiversity things, I don't really know. But that doesn't actually diminish my enjoyment of it, I suppose. Because mm-hmm. um, I like I like these, the these books have worked on multiple levels. Exactly, and and I yeah I I almost like I kind of almost browse them you know and I, I kind of I look for the art the art has been one of the things like that you know the sort of a, the broad imagination of it not not so much the the sort of smaller explanations of the, of the little things that are going on because I don't think that matters so much um, but if that hooks you somewhere I want to go I to could... earth 47 the hippie world with, <laughs> with uh, sunshine superman and brother power the you geek. know it is interesting Speed is that freak. is that uh, I mean the, the the thing that actually the Obviously, it's the DC universe, but it's interesting that the the through line between all these story, all these worlds, is superheroes. Like that's the that's the, which makes sense yeah. because you know in any other context other than it being a DC comic or even like a Marvel comic, that would be ridiculous. But it makes sense in these. Uh, well, the, the structure the, for the, it, the, the the way this this overarching narrative of basically of all of history and all of the and of all of reality is based on a hierarchy of gods and demigods. And so you get to the, the sort of commandy world, and that's also it's sort of like the Kirby verse basically, but it's not quite the Kirby verse. Like it's there's like Biomac instead of Omac, right? Um, so it's it's a little bit different, but um, that that has the new gods. So I love seeing the new when, gods again. When I yeah, when I got to the point, I was like, wow, this is, first off, this is gorgeous, and then second. Um, this uh, I want to roll around in this. This is all my favorite characters here, because I love the commandy stuff. I I love Omac and I love um, the New Gods. But um, I wasn't sure at first if it's the New Gods are in their own Earth and they're watching commandy on his Earth. But they I, seem it, to be outside of. Them. They seem to be well. They're they're Earth fifty one. Right. And that's it's all of them together. So they are like sort of in different places, but they're still part of the same reality. Um, and it's it's it it really is impressive that for much of this it makes plenty of sense. Like the, the way he just the way he describes like the like the wave harmonics and stuff using the you know the two different flashes, mm-hmm. and it's like he was a you know a, a bass octave away or something like that. I was like that that's it's really smart. It's really well told, and it's it's pretty lucid for being so out there. Right. But this was fun. Lots of fun. So what do we got next? Thor number four. This was staggeringly gorgeous. 
Russell Dowderman should be a household name. I hope he is soon. Yeah, I, I think the thing that I liked about this is um, that, I don't know, we, we just, we got a little closure on the, like, we had to deal with Thor as a person, uh, the Odin son, I suppose. The Odin son, yeah. Uh, you know, and now that's kind of out of the way. Like, it, it wasn't like a big, long, drawn-out thing, and now we are set for stories with this Thor. And what this feels like to me is when, remember when, 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 when Scott Snyder and Jock did uh, Detective and they had, they had Grayson mm-hmm. uh, as Batman, and it was, it was like, okay, let's go with this for a while. This is a little change of pace because, you know, we've been heavy in Thor for a while here, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I'm totally cool with this. Like, I, I've... I'm not any less interested in, in this new character than I was uh, watching Thor, you know, himself. It gets confusing when I try to explain it that way. Right. Um, also, it's not his mom because they kiss. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, they had a point. It was like just before You don't, you don't know what the Asgardians are getting up to. Just, it's, 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 not, it's an excellent point. Just before Frost the smooching giant. moment, um, we're in the flashback and Odin is telling uh, the Odin son that his mother is missing. And then we cut to the female Thor and it's like, is that a clue saying that maybe this is? And then, and I was like, how how much longer are we gonna play with this? And uh, yeah, because it seems because we decided with the first one, it's it seems pretty obvious, but almost too obvious that yeah. it's that it's his mother, and so it's got to be something else. So I'm glad that they got the yeah, I'm glad that they got the smooch in there and pretty much cleared that up. So now the mystery continues, but it's you know at least we have that that one red herring out of the way. I, I also like I really like it's like a change with how um Malekith has been dealt with, at least in the art, the way that Dotterman's doing him. Like he's I don't know, he's not like a menacing, drooling, sort of pointy toothed beast in this. He's kind of he's kind Loki-ish. of he's well he's also a little foppish. You know, like he's he's the like he's totally the dangerous synonyms. and menacing. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you know, like and he's sort of standing at the side of the battles. He's not you know, in the middle of everything, you know, but he's, I guess Loki-ish is the right way to go, but I, I hate to, <laughs> that sort of makes him like, well, what's the point then? <laughs> um, but I, I like that it's been like a little, a little change with how they've been dealing with him. Then sort of like, like if you look at the way that Simonson did him at the beginning, like he's just, you know, like a menacing, angry, you know, and this one's sort of a little more businessman-like, I guess. Um, but still, but which is interesting, you know, compared to Thor's brutishness. And I also like the comment on, you know, how his brutishness over and over again, Thor's, the Odin son, I see it's, it's confusing. I don't want to say Thor lady. Um, you know, it, it, it's the one. I think the you should call her the Thor it's, broad. It's Thor and Odin son. Thor broad. Yeah. That's fine, <laughs> that's, right? it, that's, that's okay. Thor, Thor chick. <laughs> it's about ethics in Asgard. Um, I can't believe I did that. I'm so I, sorry. Okay, well, let's move on. I want to. I want to say. I want to give some love. <laughs> See, I'll give some Paul, love to another. Guy. There'll be no one to stop Josh and I from getting ourselves in big trouble. Big I'm trouble. gonna love listening to the show. Uh, Screwbeard, <laughs> the dwarf, yes. who forges. Uh, it's like it takes like a thousand dwarves yeah. to forge uh, Thor's new arm out of Oru. I thought that was. I thought that was um, when we first saw it because this is this is the arm that he has as old King Thor in the beginning of Aaron's run. Um, I thought that that was a destroyer arm, like he killed the destroyer armor and like took its arm, but that doesn't make sense because it wouldn't be in scale. So anyways, he has his own Oru metal, just sort of the same thing, same place that the hammer came from. And I like that the hammer's kind of a character in this arc. Yeah. It yeah. like, it, 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 it goes to her, but it feels like it's of its, it's like if you put a puppy between two people and say, you know, which one do you love more? And it goes to, you know, 
So I, I think this is a really interesting, uh, interesting new direction for Thor. I like it a lot. Josh, every time I see the unwritten on the list, I'm always surprised it's still coming out. Well, and I checked on this because I've had an issue with it in the past. You will not be seeing it again. Um, After this week? Yep, this, this is, is the last, the last. one. It's yeah. the last issue. And I, had to, like, I got to the end and I was like, I feel like this is the end, but I'm going to look it up this time. So, so was he the audience? Was um, he a Horcrux? No, not exactly. I don't. Okay. I don't feel that the end. This. This has been. You don't know all, what happened. I do. It's. But it's. It's a little vague. And also, like this, the whole way through the series has been a little bit vague. It hasn't been completely. It's extremely metatextual. Yeah. Okay. Extremely so. So you know, at the end of this, they came up with a solution to end it that sort of works, and I. I understand it. Basic, do you want to know this? Does anyone? I, mean, do I, I dropped off uh, a long time ago, so it's fine. So, spoilers. Yeah, I guess. Uh, uh, basically, they're all stuck in this thing that's going to be the end of the world, and the bad guys have the horn that's going to blow the note, you know, that, that signals the, the end of the trumpet. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, uh, uh, basically, Tommy and his dad have some sort of a, a reconciliation after discussing, by the way, the fact that they weren't going to reconcile because that's what always happens in those stories, and he wasn't going to give that, but then he did it anyway. And then, so Tommy's dad goes back to the real world, and he writes a book that's the end of Tommy, basically. And what that does is it cements, it gives, it gives the Leviathan a story that, it, that it, can, it can cleave to. And so that means that Tommy and Pullman and Madame Rausch, who are sort of the, the, the story people, um... Are, are all part of the story, and everybody else who isn't goes back to the real world, which is then saved. Uh, and then they sort of decide they're not going to publish this book because it doesn't make any sense. That's exactly what happened in the finale of Parenthood this week. Hey, oh, there hey, was I, haven't Ray Romano. Yet. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> I'm too behind. That was, um, that was a joke. Whoa, 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 you're fired, Paul. Okay. Now, uh, so, you know, that that's... It's over. That's a thing. They, they, it's funny because at the very last few pages, they sort of went back and referred to all the other characters that we read, I don't know how many years ago. And I was like, right, there was an Australian person. <laughs> because, like, you know, and it, it, but it's still, I think it's notable, though, because, like, I feel like there's not going to be a lot of 60 to 80 issue uh, vertigo ongoing obscure. Like last, like, I mean, long. Fables is still going, but, you know, there's not. Is it? Well, I mean, it's, it's like still a tree like a falling in the woods scenario. I know. Well, I'm sure that they've got their audience and it's big, but you know, I don't know that they're working towards another end. I mean, Fables is a different thing because Fables is like as if, like, they got to the end of Trans Metropolitan and they were like, oh, let's you know, let's do it again, keep it going, like, like so that that's what that that's and that's why I got off that book. Um, so, you know, like it was it wasn't it was good it was really interesting it wasn't like my favorite thing i ever read but mike carey's certainly got a lot of a skill and I, and I think that i don't think we're gonna see this kind of thing from them at least not you know for a while because uh, obviously they're going in a different direction uh, which we're going to talk about one of those later i think we'll just see those over at image now oh yeah no i mean at vertigo which is yeah um, it's just still sad you know it's still kind of sad it, it's yeah. important to josh that vertigo is no it's, it's sad I, but, it was a really important thing and and you know and I, I, by the way i totally understand that i don't think that their business model was sustainable uh with the audience they had available which sucks but uh, you know i'm not gonna blame the corporate in the back of my head when you were explaining that, i was i was like well sock is gonna go off. oh wait yeah exactly so yeah so well, I mean, why the last man and you know that was all you know that all came from vertigo it's just that deal doesn't work as well anymore 
Batman Eternal 400. I'm going to pitch you a book, Paul. Okay. <laughs> you tell me if you're interested in buying it. All right. Uh, it's a book starring Stephanie Brown, uh-huh. Tim Drake, and Harper Rowe. Okay, so it's drawn by David LaFuente. Oh, is that what this is? Yes. Oh, man. I got to get caught up on this book. This was this is issue 43 and 42 and 41, I believe. We talked, I remember we talked about 41. Yeah, yeah. It's been all about this, these three characters together. And this has been, this issue in particular was drawn by David LaFuente. And uh, I think this is the issue, and I'm not positive, that crossed over into that flash forward issue we had in Batman a long time ago. Right, okay. That showed Harper Rowe and Batman raiding Catwoman's casino. Because this is where she's just becoming a Bluebird. She became Bluebird a couple issues ago. Now she's sort of fully, you know, on the mission with them to rescue Stephanie Brown, who's been kidnapped by Catwoman. And I really cannot underline this how much I hate Catwoman as secret mafia princess. Really? I hate it. Even more than Joker as as uh, constant. I hate all of these villain re- uh, retcons. It's it. funny because it, it, yeah, well, I was going to say it goes against the sort of Batman world, but that's actually not true in the case of what you just said about Catwoman. But still, it changes. Yeah, I don't like that either. It was revealed that she was secretly the daughter of a, of a mafia don, and now she's the daughter I, I of the hate, mafia. I do, I hate pretty much any secretly revealed that after how, you know, like decades of existence. Why can't they just be what they are? Which she was a tough street kid who came up as and turned to a master thief. Why does she have to be secretly someone special? Well, that I don't like. So I really hate everything that has to do with I, I'd assume that she just sort of like gotten to that place. Like her backstory was all the same and she just ended up as a, you know. No, no, she didn't like take over the mob. It was revealed she was the, she's the it heir. Was, she actually is the heir, yeah. yeah. I hate it. But that aside, I mean, it's hard to ignore because this whole issue takes place basically in her casino. Uh, David LaFuente drawing the sidekicks having adventures was tons of fun. That's cool. So check that out if you're a fan. Where's he, where's he been since Spider-Man? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Spanish comics? Maybe. He's doing something with uh, Kieran Gillen soon. That's right. I think. There's also, a- I'm fairly certain that Catwoman's holding a whip dildo on the cover. Okay. <laughs> so we had a new Jonathan Hickman book this week and I completely forgot it was coming out The Dying and the Dead number one from Image Comics uh, now this is Ryan Bodenheim who, who did Secret with him yes. is that it mm-hmm. yeah good lord this guy's good <laughs> I think he's a lot better than he was for Secret I don't I, I don't I don't I remember really exactly one issue of it so I don't, I don't remember yeah yeah but I think he did another thing with them before that too did you know it looks the like Mars one? Did he ink this too? Oh, Red Master. No, he didn't do Red Master Mars, no. did he? No. No, I don't remember. No. He uh, the other one yeah. The- he inked. He inked. Thanks. Yeah. The, the inking, I, remind me a lot of Moritat. I can see that. <laughs> did he draw it on tiny little pieces of paper? This uh, book was no paper, yeah. So first I thought this was going to be a mob story. I didn't have any idea what this was, but I saw yeah. the glasses on that guy, and I was like, oh, a mob story. <laughs> then they killed him, and I was like, Okay, not a mob story. <laughs> then they killed her, and I was like, I don't know what this is. And then I was like, oh, Nazis. And I was like, well, maybe it's going to be a Nazi thing. And then it went a whole other way, oh, and I, I didn't, I didn't know what it was. I liked it a lot, and I, I went into it very trepidatiously because, because uh, I haven't liked a lot of the stuff, or I haven't stuck with it. I liked it, but I was like, that's, you, that's... you like Hickman stuff more in con- con- concept than in execution. Yeah, and also like it always goes on too long for me. Mm-hmm. Like, but like you know when he did. Pax Romana a billion years ago is four issues and I was like I could use a little more of that and now like it just goes on forever he and took like your advice to heart and he went yeah with, I guess he so with it. 
I, I gotta say, I would have this whole, I this whole thing, I would have read solely to watch that plane land on the side of a yes. cliff at Birch's Garden. I was like, that is a magnificent segment. Let's look at this this double page spread of the Lincoln Continental going down the hill. You're looking over this vista in the desert towards this tiny little chapel, and these vultures or condors in the in the foreground. You know what that chapel is? That's the chapel where Slash came out to play so is it? in November Rain. Damn it right! May, Isn't this yeah, just yeah, a cliff? The though? greatest moment in music history. <laughs> You know what? Fuck you. Which I'm going to go play a solo. Which, you know what? I'll be outside. We, yeah, which we saw every eight minutes for our entire 15th and 16th years. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly. Oh, with a helicopter whipping around him. Um, this was weird. I, li- I liked it. It was definitely weird, though. I don't know what to make of it. I really love the way Ryan Bodenheim draws that girl with the heavy black eyeshadow. Yeah. That, every time he drew her, it was fantastic. But I don't know what to make of this other than I, I enjoyed I was, it. I was just imagining like, what the script looked like for that whole conversation in the church. So I have him sit there with his face on the left, some hands. Then, then in the next panel, you, you kind of see the guy's face and some hands and show his face from the other side. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I mean, he's making it work, but it was a challenge. Was, there were some, uh, some speeches up in this thing. You know, in uh, that, that, that's what I noticed. In that sense, yes, I, it, made me think, it made me think of uh, Kill Bill a lot. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. So like the the stuff in the chapel and everything, um, and especially the close ups on like hands and things. I I, I tell you the thing Lewis that I like. The Bill thing that I actually did like the most about this, though, um, he goes through the whole thing, and then at the end, you know, like he described the the white guy, uh, literally uh, Wait, describes yeah. like you know, Moon Knight white. Yeah, describes like how how good of a person this guy James is, mm-hmm. you know, and how he's the best of them and whatever. And then he says, don't, don't take the deal. And they go through the whole thing. And he's like, you know, cause, cause then they won't, they won't even, you won't even be that. And I was like, that's great. So and then I was like, and he has to take it. So he's, he's flawed, you know, for whatever, you know, we've been very vague on the story. Just for anyone who hasn't read it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, trying to, I was trying to figure out how to summarize it as you were talking. So basically it opens up with uh, uh Mo Green's wedding. And uh, then to a younger woman, it looks like, in a big wedding somewhere in uh, Europe and, uh, in 1969. Oh, in, in, in Greece. And then a bunch of uh, masked gunmen show up and kill everybody at the wedding, kill the, kill the husband, uh, take his ring, which is a cool little key that opens up a vault full of like Nazi treasure and samurai stuff. And My dad has one of those. Whoa. A key ring or a Nazi treasure? Oh, a key that can... Oh. That's, That's a room. Yeah. Is there a room? I've said too much already. Okay. And uh, so then we find out that the the bride was was a twin of one, the gun, one of the gunmen, and they kill everybody and take the take the key, open the vault, take a box out. We jump forward and meet this dude, uh, World War II vet whose m- wife is dying of cancer, and he's approached by a, an all white, craggly old man in the hospital room. Says he's got to come with him because he's got a deal for him, and that's where it gets weird. <laughs> he goes down somewhere into hell. There's a, maybe a hell, maybe not hell. It's, I, I saw it like, like they were on the River Styx. Right, that's what I they thought. They were going down to, I don't remember. And then there's some sort it's of like new, a life tree. and New Nazi regime in, in Berkus Garden, although they're not really Nazis because they're... They're clones? Ba'al Sarar. And it's in, it, there's a lot going on, and I can't really put it in any kind of linear fashion. But it's a, Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I think for me, I'm going to wait for a collection of this and just sit down and... Mm-hmm. Enjoy. Well, you had one. It's called the first issue. It was about eighty-five yes. pages. It is a it is a very so long first 450, issue. Four fifty. You get your you get your you know lots of shots of faces. But it it, uh, it cannot be 
uh, over I mean, it's it's super pretty. It's it's a gorgeous yeah. looking book. I can totally see my, and look, this needs to get adventure though and get out of the metaphysical or I'm yeah. going to get yeah. not that I need to have that. That's just not that's, your bag. I know it is. I like it but not endlessly. Mhm. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I don't, I, I don't want to read that endlessly. That's what the Manhattan Project's got to be. It was just endless philosophizing, which is interesting for a while. But eventually, like, okay, I, I get your point. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that guy's crazy. That's all that I took out of that after a bit, and it was super pretty, uh, no doubt. But we'll see. I'm gonna read another one. I was impressed. I well, was hooked. When, when uh, Paul looks for that collection, he'll go to ifmbot.com/slash/amazon. Won't you, Paul? After you're gone, you won't forget about us. And yeah, he, yeah, sure. he will uh, look for that collection by clicking on that little button, to, take him to, takes him to Amazon. We'll get a little piece of his purchase, not out of his pocket, but out of uh, Amazon's giant pockets. And uh, that'll help, that helps the show go keep going. It helps keep the lights on, pay the server costs, all that kind of fun stuff. And if he doesn't want to do that, he'll go to ifamba.com slash registration. We'll become an iFamboy member, which you could do now, Paul, if you want to become a member again. I was ballished. That's the reason that I had to leave the show is <laughs> keep me in Fig Newtons and stuff and... So uh, he, if you go to iFanboy.com plus registration, that's where you give 3 bucks a month or 30 bucks a year to become an iFanboy member and help us out directly. And we appreciate everyone who does that. And uh, we hear from you quite often uh, when you sign up. And we, we always are very thankful for, all, for everyone who does that. So th- go to iFanboy.com slash Amazon or iFanboy.com slash registration to help. So there was a new Vertigo number one, and I was like, I guess I have to read it. You shouldn't have signed that deal in blood when you, when you did. I know, but back then, you know, that was the only way to get those books. <laughs> um, Effigy number one, which is by uh, Tim Seeley, whose work I have been enjoying on, um, on uh, Revival, even this week, uh, and Marley Zarcone. Uh, oh, she's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't know what it was going to be exactly, but I don't think it's Supernatural, which I'm totally down with. Oh, it's um, got to be supernatural. So, okay, so here I'm going to try to make this pitch, and I'm sure they do it better than me. There's a girl. She's from, like, a small town, and she, when she was a teenager, uh, was on a TV show about, like, a space girl or something like that, uh, Star Cops. Um, but nice. that didn't pan out, and then she couldn't get any more work. And then her mother gave her the suggest. Her mother's an awful person. Gave her the suggestion that she should, she should make a, a sex tape and, quote-unquote, leak it. Oh, um, Wait, this is, uh, this is all the, uh, prior to the story, okay? So uh, does that, uh, and that doesn't help her career. So now she's back in the town where she grow, grew up, and she's a, uh, she's a meter maid. Uh, and everyone, everyone hates her, and she's not terribly <laughs> happy. But she's a cop. She's a beginning cop. And then she gets called to the site of a murder, and she's like, oh, it's going to be my chance. The captain's calling me up. Uh, because they found a body in an Indian burial ground that has a tattoo of the star cops on the back, and that's the end of the first issue. I know I just gave the whole thing away, but if that sounds like something you'd like to do... That's interesting. Go for it. I think Tim Seeley is really very good, especially when he's telling these small-town stories about the politics and the sort of infighting and thing that go on on a small scale and the, the jealousies and stuff therein and... Um, he's got a really good eye for the uh, culture of that type, which I actually don't read a lot in comics, and, and I'm always kind of surprised by it. Um, I'm Zarcone, downloading it right now. Yeah, you, Marley you sold Zarcone. Me with your pitch. Why you is why is it weird that the person has a tattoo? Because it's related to this TV show that she was on, right? And she was in an Indian burial ground with never found anything younger than 800 years old, and so they called her in to be like, "You were on this TV show. Solve it. Well, just like, what is she supposed to do?" I don't listen, we'll listen. see an issue too. I guess. That was the last page. I don't know. <laughs> they didn't extrapolate on that. No, okay. they didn't. 
and she's also so not, I just want to mention white. so okay so passing of the torch uh, for Flash Gordon uh, Dynamite's doing these King books crossovers and I checked out the last issue of Jeff Parker and Doc Shaner's Flash Gordon and that was pretty excellent and just going over it um, not a huge amount of action in this issue this like is epilogue. sort of the wrap up yeah it's an epilogue but. Uh, that that gave me kind of an opportunity to just go over these pages and look at how great a storyteller Doc Shaner is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's just a moment where Flash Gordon is in a suit and he's walking through a crowd and people are like awkwardly like taking like taking his picture and reaching out their hands for a high five and he captures it with like such great nuance. And then when this the the thing does turn to action and we get a little moment with uh, Ming the Merciless um, or not Ming the Merciless. Um, He's doing all these really interesting bits of choreography, and it's not overcomplicated. It's just really clean and uh, just really, really good storytelling. You're never ever confused as to what you're seeing, and um, I, I think it's you know speaks to a you know really nice confidence too. He's not trying to you know break out of every panel, and it just uh, looks looks really good. So enjoyed that, and then I tried uh, King the Phantom number one because Billy Zane, my favorite comic book movie. He was the bomb, um, and uh, the, the ghost who walks. And so this is all coming out of that um, that big event that uh, that Jeff Parker sort of started. And that's and Flash the the Flash Gordon series that just ended is sort of like the through line between that and these new King books, which gonna, there's going to be a Prince of Valiant book. There's going to be a Mandrake the Magician book. Mandrake shows up in this uh, for the, at the beginning, and this is a new Phantom taking up the role because. There, I think, for the past four hundred years, there has always been someone uh, as the Phantom, and you know that person dies and passes it on to someone else. And the guy who's donned the costume in this one uh, is Zane. is is Billy Zane. And he's basically explaining, <laughs> "I'm just I'm just wearing this until the real new Phantom comes and and takes it from me. I'm just I just need to do some unbid, unfinished business." And it's a great kind of adventure romp. A uh, really good script from Brian Clevenger and uh, Brent Schoonover did the Artemis, yes. and it's uh, it's 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 really fun. So I'm going to enjoy these uh, these King books throughout 2015. Uh, there's a lot of cool characters involved, so good stuff. Um, What's happened with the sex robots? Yeah, the sex robots. Alex and Ada number twelve uh, was out this week. This story just keeps sort of coming out every once in a while, and I read it and I, and I, I dig it. Um, you know, the, basically it's about whether they uh, whether it's okay. It's about whether to, it's okay to give robots sentience in this world that people really don't trust the robots, and so it's highly illegal. It's like a really big bad thing to give your robot sentience, and and that Alex is you know he's in a relationship with uh, Ada, who is who is sentient and aware. And uh, I just wanted to check in with folks because I'm still reading it. And I still think it's pretty good. Um, if you like that kind of uh, you know the robot rules, is it like her? Yeah, a little bit. There's definitely some of that. I think uh, she doesn't look like Scarlett Johansson, so I don't. I don't hear her. Like that. But um, except he's like like Alex. He's not. He's not a similar character to uh, the Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, but yeah. I mean, like you're in a world that's that level of technology is probably about right. Right. You know, and and the, and you've got these ideas about. Um, I don't know, like, you know, is is it alive? Does she have a soul? Does she have rights? Blah blah blah. You're not a man. You're a thing. You know. It's Battlestar Galactica, a lot to do with that kind of thing, right. um, but on a really sort of uh, slow personal level. Um, and I'm still digging it, and I, I think that this sort of really simple sort of art style uh, works in its favor very much. So it's been good. 
So I'm also, I'm, are you guys reading Sex Criminals still? No. I'm on trades with Sex Criminals. Okay. I actually like, I like stopped reading it. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading it again. And I like, we've turned a corner, I guess. You know, because like for a while it was basically, these guys are having sex. And they're criminals. <laughs> Look at them go with their sex superpowers. They're going to rob a bank. You know, and now we've moved on to the next sort of version of it. And I, almost despite myself, I have to admit there are interesting things going on here that really follow up on some of the things that I think Alan Moore was trying to accomplish when he did, you know, when he did uh, The Lost Girls. Lost Girls, yeah. Where, I don't know, like he was trying to use sex as part of the language for stories about adults. In the same way that superhero comics use violence? Yes. Yeah, and also just making it part of the normal conversation because it's part of our normal life. And it's it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but not as much as you would think. Like, it's not super gag, gag, not gag, lack, but um, stupid joke gaggy. Like, it, it doesn't, it's not cheap in that way. Um, it's a really, it's, it is an interesting book, and I don't think there's anything else like it. Um, there, and there, here, here's, the, here's the thing. There's a therapist now. And the therapy scenes, like it's like the it's like the draw, it's like the portrayal of, of what what Jed Bartlett is to a fictional president. This is this therapist in this book, and so like sitting through a therapy scene isn't actually uh, torturous. Right. I guess there's a little of that. So I've actually I've been enjoying it. I had I had a little renaissance on it. I I, I tried to not read it, and then I went back and read it because of boners, but um, <laughs> not necessarily mine. I don't I don't think that's the thing with this. But uh, it's interesting. It, well, you know, it brings me to a further a point that I notice is that, like, I follow a lot of people uh, on, the, on the social networks um, from comics. No one ever talks about sex. No one makes sex jokes. No one, it's like it doesn't exist mm-hmm. in this subculture, which is really interesting to me. Nerds. It's, I, yeah, I don't know. But there's also, like, there's, like, a politeness to it, which is funny because, like, the rest of the world are, are not like that. I, I think it's over... Uh Hyper awareness of we're being sexist when sex jokes yeah. are pretty normal. What's wrong with being sexy? Right. I'm gonna keep doing that spinal tap joke until the day I die. <laughs> Shall we take a look at some email questions? Well, first, if, if you haven't, uh, if you want to talk about those books or any other books of the week, any books we didn't get a chance to talk about, you go to fanboy.com and you can find a post for this show where you can tell us what you read, what you thought of the books that came out this week, and. And uh, now we'll do the emails. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm over-eager because I like this question. Okay, so Jay writes, I enjoyed your take on the new Star Wars number one, but two things bugged me, and both are so nerdy that I can't believe I am writing this email. One, am I the only person who is bothered by people referring to Star Wars as a new hope? The movie is, was, and forever shall be Star Wars. Um, Two, as you can now probably guess, I am rather old school when it comes to Star Wars. What is your take on the name swap of Zuckus and Forlom? I suppose I can understand the logic of it, but I just can't accept it in my heart. Zuckus was one of my favorite action figures. That gun he had was epic, and the bounty hunter in that Star Wars book was Zuckus. I wasn't even aware of the Zuckus-Forlom switch until the Robot Chicken late night with Zuckus sketch. I couldn't believe that Robot Chicken would make such a mistake and then learned of the character's rebranding. Am I being old and crotchety or just stubborn? If I were to start a crusade on these issues, would any of you stand with me? Or do, you just, or do I just need to get off my lawn? Or do you just need to get off my lawn? Excuse me. Um, I wasn't aware of this. Um, Zuckus was always Zuckus to me, and Forlom was always Forlom. But apparently when they released the original Kenner action figures, they were uh, swapped 
Hmm. So the okay. So wait now. Yeah. Everything I know about them comes from the Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Yeah. Okay. So Zuckus. They is changed the, their names. Yeah. They swap names. But based on what? I like, don't was know. The, the, the action figure wrong? Because well, that's the thing. They didn't like, say the name they, in the movie. They never mentioned the name in the movie. That's the thing. So, so what the you're saying action is they figures the names of the wrong the figures with the wrong names on them, so they just switched them in the stories. That I can completely believe. Yeah. So I but I think anyone who knows from like the expanded universe or like like looked them up in a reference book or just look them up, you're gonna when you type in for alarm, you're gonna get the the bounty hunter android thing, the protocol droid right. that showed up in Star Wars number Don't one. Know. Yes. It makes that's, no sense for Zuckus to be called for alarm. No, Zuckus is a man what's made of gas. Right. <laughs> so I've so I we're not as old school as as Jay is. We don't. We he's basing it off of these these action figures, which I don't know if that was a mistake whoa, whoa, whoa. or if they just Are changed we, their mind. We were there for the action figures, Paul. Uh, yeah. We yeah. But apparently, but Josh is saying you know it from the tales of the bounty hunters. Well, we, yeah. I mean, like I had the, the minutia of it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but I, I, I don't remember. I, I didn't have those. I didn't have those particular figures. They would have come out when I was three. I had three. Right. I'm sure. You know, I maybe had one or two I along had the four way. Of them. Yeah, but although I now don't, I don't know what to call them, I had the robots. And that was and that was probably they've always been. The first yeah, they've always one. been that. For, for whatever so, reason, that's what I always thought they were. So for me, this is a non-issue. Yeah. Okay. And and yes, you're being old and crotchety. Plus, Zuckus is more fun to say. Zuckus is, and it's like, it just makes sense. And four J- OM. Would be what you call a robot, right? And Zuckus is a man what's made of gas. Now the first question, Josh. Yeah. Is he the only one bothered by people calling Star Wars a New Hope? No. No, that's fair. That's it got fair. confusing. You can call it Star Wars Episode Four, A New Hope. Any of those are acceptable. Uh, I mean, you could call it Star Wars, but I yeah, if so, well, to someone Star told Wars. if someone told me Star like if someone said Star Wars, four. I'd know what they meant, but. Yeah, but it depends on who you're talking to. Because Star Wars... No, I just, I just be, mean I just, know what they're... Yeah, okay. If you just want to make sure that you're being clear and you just say Star Wars, you may, it may not be entirely clear. So, And I usually say Episode 4, or I'll say 4, uh, just because that's easiest for me, I guess, just to make sure that I'm being clear. Because now, cause sometimes you'd say the first one, and then that, that's all messed up now. So you can't <laughs> say the first one. So, that's, I, I just, so I say A New Hope. I will say if we're talking about a bunch of movies together, obviously. If you're talking about a bunch of the films, you've got to differentiate. Mm-hmm. But I often will just say Star Wars. Yep. Did you ever just say Star Wars IV? No. No. Okay. It's not a thing. No, I think those things are fair game, too. We'll catch on. Listen, I'm all about, you know, you respect the Star Wars, but, you know, you've got to deal with it. It's not like someone's calling it 616. Now, that's stupid. <laughs> do, we have, do we have time for another one? Yeah, why not? Okay. Uh, let's see. This is, this is for you guys, so I'll read it. Matt from Charlotte writes, Hey, Josh, Connor, and Paul, in descending order of who might find this question interesting. I may be one of the few, but I always enjoy War Corner and, could, and wouldn't mind if it was in every show. But after a few days of careful consideration, it got me thinking, especially in light of the release of American Sniper. I'm a huge fan of military history, especially World War II, and love uh, good war comics. But most war comics are entertainment, and war is entertainment isn't an idea that sits really well with me. Yet good war stories are incredibly compelling as stories and have proven to be commercially viable, maybe more so in Hollywood than comics, though. Have you guys ever thought about the tension between war and entertainment? Do you think the comics... Form brings anything interesting to the table as far as telling war stories. Thanks. 
I just want to start out by saying that you have way overjudged what we are capable of talking about here. <laughs> and, this is a very good question. I mean, like, listen, I'm like, wow, that's a really good question, and I don't know that I'm worthy um, well, in that sense. Yeah. But I will. All, all comics, all war comics and entertainment, all comics and entertainment. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you watch a movie or even a documentary or whatever, I mean, you're, 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 you're doing it to be informed, but you're also being entertained because that comes in the craft of it. And I, don't, I, don't think there's, I don't think there's a sin in that. I think it really depends on your life. Like I'm sure if you're a veteran, you don't want to read a war comic. Well, unless you do. Unless you do. I know some veterans who are fine with it. Some veterans don't yeah. go to war movies. Some do. I will tell you that I think that specifically with World War II, there is something inextricable with how they're linked to the comics as an industry and the history of comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the guys in the gold, not all, but a lot oh, of the guys from the golden age, the guys who created the fabric of modern mainstream comics, a lot of the characters you're still reading today, they, at the very least, lived through the, the war. And in many, many cases, they, they served, mm-hmm. you know, to varying degrees. And you cannot remove that from a character like Captain America and then by extension the Marvel Universe. Like, you, you can't. You know, and, and all, you know, Joe Simon and, and Jack Kirby and, and, and uh, Stan Lee and, and Eisner, like, these guys all served and saw it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurtzman, like, and, and th- those experiences helped shape what, what comics were made. Uh, and, and, and that's, I mean, and that's only just talking about, like, if you're talking about Marvel and DC Comics as they exist today, you know, but, but also war comics were a big thing in, in, at the time, yeah. you know, like, like making them and, and they were propaganda to a certain extent. Uh, and then, you know, as you saw, you know, it, you know, EC war comics and stuff and, and that came out in the fifties as these guys tried to work through that. And, you know, that's just, that's part of comics history, which is part of the reason I think that it works really well with comics which is there's like a draw to it there's a natural through line um you know it's why you, i think it's it's your guy like garth ennis is is drawn to doing war comics over and over again it's sort of part of the fabric of comics history because comics aren't that old you know like like they these guys were all kids you know in the just before the war started uh, in the 40s so i think that's a connection and then and then you know as you watch when comics shift in the 70s that was shaped by by living in a world of Vietnam, and I don't think most of those guys served, but some of them did. We're talking about uh, Larry, Hama. Um, Larry Hama, and you know who would carry a gun to the office at Marvel. Um, Frank Castle, Frank Castle, you know, like all that. A lot of stuff that comes out of there, and you know, like we talk about GI Joe, which is enormous in shaping pop culture through the '80s. That's all built from guys who are <laughs> trying to work out Vietnam, which right. is amazing in retrospect to think about that. <laughs> it, but um, there's the bigger question of war as entertain and as entertainment, and uh, you know there's lots of horrible I, subjects that are used as bases for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I've been going over this in my head a lot, um, sort of because of American Sniper, because there. But I don't even want to touch that as a as a thing. Um, but even if you look at like Fury, which came out, which is a World War II movie, would you call that? Did you see it? Did anybody no. else see it? It's okay. on my top of my Netflix queue at the moment. It's not an entertaining movie in the strictest sense. Yeah, no, I know, but like it's it's like why am I watching this? Well, and I would actually say that this applies to American Sniper 2, and I'm putting this regardless of the real story, I suppose. Like if I'm separating the real story of the person, Chris Kyle, from, say, the the movie that I watched. And what you're watching is a soldier's experience 
from a certain point of view, which to me is entertaining, but it's also I. It, it is. It's a thing that I keep going back to over and over again because I I want to understand it and I want to know. I want to know how I would fit into something like that and what it would mean. And it like it makes me think about who I am as opposed to those things. And for some reason, I keep going back to that. It's entertainment and education. Oh. Well, yeah. there's there's self realization sort of. There's many different scales to uh, which you can measure entertainment and one of them is on at one side it's enlightening and at the other side it's uh, enjoyable so sometimes you can go in and and, and it's it's very uncomfortable it's like uh, Jacques Tardy um, World War One comics which are extremely graphic and and very tough mm-hmm. to uh, to take at times but they're very enlightening and you can get a certain sense of I guess it's how you how you render satisfaction from those books do you render satisfaction out of pure joy or do you render satisfaction out of knowing more here's the thing is you can watch that and you can enjoy it and this is the same like again if you're talking about american sniper or even like like it depends on you what you take into it like Mm -hmm. i came out of it thinking god what a what a really hard job that must be and other people like look at him kill those people and i you can't you can't correct for that really right so i guess it depends but something being entertaining in and of itself is not necessarily negative, especially if you are taking something else out. It doesn't trivialize the subject matter either. There's plenty of entertaining films about the Holocaust that aren't trivializing what happened there simply because they're entertaining movies. I will will say Schindler's List is an extremely entertaining movie. Mm -hmm. It just is. Like There's a clear-cut bad guy and a moral question, and it's horrible, and it makes you feel bad, but you learn things, you, you come out of it, but it's still entertaining. Uh, mm. You know, fortunately or unfortunately, but um, I think I think a really relevant book for this is um, is Shooters. I reviewed that years ago by uh, Eric Troutman, yeah. Brandon Jerwat, and Steve Lieber, um, and it's a it's a book about um, you know after the war and even look on the cover and I forget what they call that, but like the the soldiers cross or whatever the um the, you know the gun between the the boots with the helmet on top, mm-hmm. sort of like a marker. Um, and you know, and a and a and a torn photo of a, of a family, and so it's a it's an observ you know um, uh, an observation or, or or a look at um, you know what what that can do afterwards. So I think people coming out of that movie, if you want to read more, that's a really good one. Um, and with without it being so you know one sided, if you think of it as one or two sided, mm-hmm. um, so I think there's all kinds of war comics out there. Great questions this week. Yeah. yeah. Good job, Matt and Jay. <laughs> they just could not be farther apart in the spectrum of things that matter. But and still don't. great questions. And totally, they, totally. Yeah. What they and, did and, was and, they emailed us at contact.ifanboy.com to give us those questions, to get on the show, make the show better. So please, everyone should do that, as well as call the voicemail line at 888-FANBOYS-326-2697 if you want to get your question on the show and be part of the action. Good job. Job. Good job, everybody. Great for you. Quick plug, uh, Justice League Throne of Atlantis special edition show featuring Paul and I and Ryan Haupt is on your feed right now, right behind this show. Uh, we put it out late uh, in the week last week, so if you uh, are interested in hearing about that film, what we thought of it, you can find that on your podcast aggregator right behind this one. Or on I didn't know that was a thing. Streaming. Uh, we, neither did we until the very last moment. We forgot okay. about it, but uh, we had a fun time. Watching and talking. Actually, it was a long one. Those shows usually yeah, was. 20, 30 minutes. This was a show almost an hour. Mm. It was a good show. Fun time. It was a good fun show. It was a good one. I enjoyed it. Uh, do we do the outro quick, or what do you want to do? It's all you, Paul. Let's do the outro. It's just a normal show. Just a normal show. 
Just another day in the life of our... It's not like we're never going to see you again. Let's not make it... I don't want to cry. Head over to ifamway.com. Comment on this show. Talk about this week's books or what we talked about, the issues in the emails, uh, everything. You can do that at ifamboy.com And you can find all of our other podcasts, including the Throne of Atlantis podcast and our other special edition shows. All of them are over at ifamboy.com. You can follow iFanboy at twitter.com slash iFanboy. You go to facebook.com slash iFanboy, and there you will find out uh, that there's a show about uh, a Justice League uh, animation, for example. Uh, or you'll find out what the pick of the week is before, uh, it, before you hear this show. Uh, you can follow us individually at CLS Kilpatrick, Fuzzy Typewriter, or J.A. Flanagan. And finally, if you dig this sort of thing, you can write the guys a review on iTunes, or better yet, tell your friends about us, introduce your mom to podcasts, Help spread that I fanboy love around, which is what I will be doing Ooh. as a fan of the show. You just referred to us as a separate entity. <laughs> the guys. I was like, oh, but I don't have ownership anymore. It's you know. Well, you know what's interesting? A little bit of poetry. Uh, poetry we talked about at the beginning of this episode yeah. is that uh, your predecessor Ron, his final episode was episode three seventy. This is episode four seventy. Four seventy. So next time, five seventy. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> also, your la- we announced you're leaving. It was a, the pick of the week was Star Wars number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when Ron announced he was leaving, the pick of the week prior, the week prior was Star Wars number one. So whenever a new Star Wars book comes out, <laughs> uh, that's when trouble's coming. Did you see that they had originally pitched Ramon Perez to be the artist on that Star Wars book? I did not see that, but that would have been I say he, 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 he mentioned that, like that he couldn't work it out schedule-wise. And I was like, oh, my that God. Would've, that would have made the book much better. Yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing against Carlos Dianda. It's fine, but still. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant the new one. No, no, no. No, no. Brian Wood's book. Oh, that's interesting. He was right. He was supposed to be the artist on that. Hmm. And this has been Kilpatrick's numerology corner. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, you know the the num- <laughs> Did you know that the number of letters in Paul Montgomery is roughly equivalent to quitter? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Paul, I just been, don't want to edit more often. It's been a wonderful 100 episodes or so with you. I guess 99 episodes or so. Nice. Give or take. As a regular host, obviously we missed some, and there was mm-hmm. other sh- other shows you did previous to that. But uh, good, good job. Almost two years of of this. It's not easy. <laughs> it's been it's been my pleasure. What's great? This is the best part. Is that he came on and he had the first conversation with us and he was like, oh my God, these guys are so jaded. And now you are one of us. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you got that first call like, holy shit. That's right. You, 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 you were concerned. Did I say that really? Yeah, I remember that. You, you were, yeah, yeah, you were totally. <laughs> you were concerned that we were jaded. Yeah. And it wasn't going to be fun for you. But who's laughing now? Yeah. Paul. Welcome. Welcome. Join us. Get sucked in. Well, I will I will toast you guys on my on my boat um as I travel around the globe. And where can uh, people find you while you're listening going? to episode four seventy one. Uh, I'm over at panels.net and uh you can hear me on uh on most episodes of the O Comics podcast. I might do some more fuzzy typewriter podcasts coming up, we'll see. And you'll still come around for the uh animation brain trust shows. Absolutely. The movie shows uh, when when Josh can't watch them, which will be most of them, and then uh, me. occasional fill-in jobs. I've got at least yeah, four weddings far. this year to go to. 
Jesus. <laughs> Probably back in like two or three weeks or something. It's really, every time I turn around, someone says, oh, I'm getting married in September. I go, oh, I've got three in September. That's great. Thanks. Yeah. Let's try to do this next year, people. That's what you get for dating someone who's younger than you. No, they're all my friends. Really? Second marriages? Um, <laughs> one is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's true. <laughs> uh, one's, my fa- one's a family member. One's a second marriage. One's an iFanboy staffer. And... Uh, and I don't know. Oh, the other one's not my friend. It's the other friend. It's her friend. Fair so uh, we'll we'll tune in for Paul. He'll pop up every now and then. The thing about Paul is he's not leaving to go run a comic book publisher, so he can come back and do the show. Yeah, there's no conflict of interest, so it's fine. So uh, until Paul comes back, until next week, I'm Connor. I'm Paul. I'm gonna miss your little fuzzy avatar. <laughs> he's Josh. <laughs>